Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Southwest AgriTalk, a voice for agriculture. I'm your host, Lyle Logeman. We're coming to you from the sunny town of Las Cruces, New Mexico, land of the crosses, for our second episode ever in this series of Southwest AgriTalk. I am visited here today by an individual all the way from Brewster, Nebraska. Brewster, Nebraska is the correct way to say it, yes. She is somebody who has led many different roles in life. And she has come down here today to talk to us about some of the things that she has done. And even though she is not from the Southwest, she will be an honorary Southwesterner by the time she leaves today. Now, her name is Mackenzie Johnston. And I will allow Mackenzie to give a few opening remarks about just how excited she is to be here. Well, first off, Lyle, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me today on your podcast. It's an honor to be on your second podcast. And it is an honor to be down here in Southwest uh, Southwest America, I guess you'd call it, mm -hmm. New Mexico, uh, not far from Mexico itself. Exactly. A bit different from where I come from. You guys don't believe in the color green or cool weather down <laughs> here. So um, that's a shocker. But um, it's great to be down here, see some new country, meet some new people and chat with you. Yep. What are, are the people in southwestern New Mexico comparable to the people in north central Nebraska? Are there any differences? I wouldn't say there's any big differences except our perspective on weather. I was chatting with someone earlier today and she looked at the forecast and she said, oh, it's only going to be 97. <laughs> yeah. And grass, our perspective on grass is a lot different. Yeah, today, exactly. It? And um, obviously, I mean, just how you guys operate down here and I mean, how you do everything is a little bit different, but overall, I mean, deep down, I think. Exactly. Yeah. What's the average yearly rainfall in Nebraska? Oh, gosh. Where I come from, uh, central Nebraska, I want to say it's around 30 inches. Yeah. It's pretty phenomenal. And what is it here? Like 17. But in Crucis, it's like two and a half inches. So that's really disappointing. But we get by. People have been surviving here for hundreds of years. So. You guys are, uh, are a tougher kind, yeah. I would have to say. Yeah, we're tough enough. Boot leather down here. So, we're you're how many miles from home? 1,100? Yeah, right now. 1,100 miles from home. And first, when we start this conversation, I always like to know what people, how they grew up. Um, you know, what? how did you grow up in Nebraska? And what were your early years like? And we'll get to the good stuff, folks, there at the end. She has led a tremendous career in her life. And uh, we want to know a little bit about what you did early on. Okay. So I've uh, grown up on a ranch my whole life. My parents started ranching near Lakeside, Nebraska, where my grandfather's ranch was at. And then my dad expanded and bought a ranch up in South Dakota. So we moved up there and we lived up there for 11 years. Went to school in Edgemont, South Dakota and Harrison, Nebraska. Then my dad always wanted to get back to Sandhills. So we bought that ranch that we're currently on there in Brewster, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. Went to school in uh, Dunning, Sandhills High School, a consolidated school of four little towns. My county back home has 500 people. So wow. Very desolate area. So went to high school there. Went on to rodeo for a year at EWC, Eastern Wyoming College, out in Torrington. Then I wanted something bigger and wanted to focus more on my education. So I transferred to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Down there, I studied animal science and received um, my bachelor's of science in animal science with a minor in business. I did that after 
that, I moved down to Denton, Texas, and I worked for the Red Angus Association mm-hmm. as a special projects manager. Didn't last long down there. The urban uh, the urban area was a bit too much for me, and it's fair to say that I'm somewhat of a homebody. Mm-hmm. So moved back to our family ranch, ranch with my dad uh, until 2014. And I took a part-time position with Nebraska Cattlemen as a field representative. And I worked part-time for them and continued to ranch on on our ranch with my folks. Worked for them for six years until March of 2020 when I was fired for writing an opinion editorial for Brazilian Beef Imports, (laughs) which was a good time. Then after they abruptly let me go, Tri-State Livestock News out of Belfouche, South Dakota, hired me on as a journalist, and I also spearheaded their Fair Cattle Markets Initiative. And we focused on all the cattle industry issues that have been facing our industry for years, and then all of the issues that kind of came to light when the virus hit, when the pandemic came about. So I worked for Tri-State. For a year until March of 2021, and I was hired by a production company to be an associate pro- associate programming director and also a sideline reporter. We produced the television show Wild Rides Cattle Industry Today that is aired on both RFD TV and mm-hmm. the Cowboy Channel. And just recently, that contract work ended, so I am now still on our ranch, ranching with my folks and looking for my next move within the within the journalism and reporting world. Exactly. Well, it's an exciting thing when you list out the amount of things that you've done, and you have really never left the cattle business or the industry. You've been in it your whole life. And have you ever had any desire? I mean, how, you know, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you know or... Growing up, I didn't want to have anything to do with ranching. I, as a child, I wanted to be an athlete of some sort. Uh, there was for for a long time, I wanted to be a gymnast. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents enrolled me in gymnastics for years, and that kind of faded away. And then sports was always big growing up in middle school and high school, and I always thought that I would somehow be employed in the sports industry. But clearly, I think as I grew older, I figured out where my heart was. And my heart has always been in the cattle industry. I come from a long line of ranchers. And I think when it's in your blood, it's just, it's hard to get away from. And as so many people say, the folks in the cattle industry are the salt of this earth. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't you want to work in an industry with such great people? The same story is kind of virtually, I feel that too, is that when I was growing up, dad, he fought tooth and nail to try to get me to rope and, and learn to love horses and, and learn to understand cattle. And I just, I, it seems like when you mentioned all these things, I really didn't have any desire to. And it's only now that as I get older, I start to understand that just how important it was, the lessons he was trying to teach me. And now, you know, it seems when I got into high school, I, my interest really took off when it came, cause I was working at some sale barns and things like that. And it's just strange what time does to your interests. And how it shapes you and changes your perspective on things, and the things that you see that just get you excited, and you enjoy it. And you know, and I could particularly see in your eyes that you enjoy seeing independent-minded people who have the opportunity to control their own business. Mm-hmm. So that brings me into my next part of this conversation: is you have been well known for having an unvarnished opinion 
of uh, of uh, particular issues in the cattle industry. And because this is my podcast and I control it, and we believe in the First Amendment on this podcast, I want you also to share your unvarnished opinion, if you want to, about some of the critical issues that are that the American agriculture industry and the cattle industry is encountering at this time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's <laughs> no secret that I like to stir the pot. Hey, I know. There's no doubt about that. So currently within our cattle industry, and this has been going on for years, but I think everything is just kind of coming to a head now because we are seeing such consolidation in our packing industry. That's what it comes down to when we only have four packers processing 80% of the fed cattle slaughter. Here. And what are those four? So we have JBS, Cargill, Tyson, and National Beef. And I need to note that both JBS and National Beef, they are foreign owned. They are Brazilian owned. Yes. And that right there says enough. The fact that they're foreign is bad enough, but the fact that they're Brazilian owned takes it to a whole new level. You and I both know, and so many folks out there know that Brazil is not known for being an honest country to do any kind of business with. They have proven that time and time again with different situations. We had to cut off imports from them back in 2017 because they were sending us rotten meat, covering it up with chemicals. Mm -hmm. But then here in 2020, uh, former Ag Secretary Purdue opened our borders back up to those Brazilian beef imports, and we continue to import beef. And speaking of imports, in my opinion, we do not need to import such vast amounts of beef into this country. I understand that there is some need for imports. You know, it's just, it's a give and take kind of deal when you have an import export market. I totally understand that. But I think we are taking it a little bit too far. And then on top of that, if we're going to import so much, so much beef, why don't we have better, um, better labeling for our beef here in America? Mm -hmm. Why don't we slap a product of USA label on our beef that is pr produced domestically, not just for cattle producers, but for consumers? Mm -hmm. I had this conversation with someone um, in the past couple days, and they made the comment that consumers really don't care where their food comes from. And I could not disagree more. It, it, we were going towards this trend before the pandemic, but then after the pandemic, it just shone a light on how much consumers do wanna know where their food comes from. You go into a supermarket and you watch housewives go through the grocery store picking up products, I guarantee you almost 90% of them will look at labels to see where produce comes from or exactly. even, even meat. You know, why is, why is beef excluded from, from being labeled appropriately? Well, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because my mom lived in Iowa at one time and worked at a beef packing plant and she worked there and my mom knows every cut of meat there, is, every cut of meat there is. She, she could go teach the college university and she doesn't even have bachelors and any kind of education, but I guarantee you she could go in there. She could teach them kids every cut of meat that there is. Mm -hmm. But I remember when we were little growing up with mom and when we would go to the store, she would eye that meat up and down. So she would not purchase anything if she didn't think it was legit. And it was something that was, um, that she knew that it would be wholesome for the whole family. And as far as it goes, when, when they say that, well, consumers don't care. I think that's a blatant lie. I care when I go to the store about what I'm buying. 
Correct. Most definitely. And it's not just so much about, obviously it's about quality. We know everything we produce here in America is top quality, but for me, it goes back to supporting America. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't we want to buy products that are American made, American produced? I mean, we need to, (laughs) we have gotten to a point in this country and we see it right now. We can't, we can't get certain, uh, equipment bought because we're waiting we're waiting for a certain piece that is made in a foreign country why have we why have we taken all of our production and outsourced it we are relying on other countries that have proven over the past couple of years and are proving right now they are not reliable mm-hmm. when it comes to fulfilling our needs and you know honestly they shouldn't have to be reliable we should be able to produce what we need here in this country and we should we should have Americans wanting to go back to work and uh, make a living for themselves rather than sitting at home waiting for this easy money that the Biden administration just continues to shell exactly. out. Exactly. And at what point in time did Made in America become uh, not a good thing? You know, that is a darn good question. Uh, I have no idea. You know, for me, it's all, I mean, it's always been, it's always been a good thing. You see anything made in America, uh, for example, any, any tools that my dad and I use on our operation guarantee if it's, if it's made in America, like it's going to be there, it's going to be, it's going to be on our ranch for a long time until, until I lose it at some point, yeah. but you get something from China or Taiwan, mm-hmm. that son of a gun's going to break eventually. Yeah. Something's going to go wrong. I don't know when we got away. Well, honestly, I think it's just the mere fact that here in America, we've gotten um, so addicted to probably just cheap products and we're all about efficiency and we don't care as much about the quality that we're putting out. And and I think we've got it in our minds as Americans that if we buy a lower quality product for a cheaper price, that improves our standard of living. Right. Does that make any sense? No. No. But that's where we're at today. Yeah, that's exactly where we're at. I think we've been consumed by that sort of thing. So, you know, and your unvarnished opinion again. How did it get this way? The consolidation between the Packers. I mean, how, what has brought us to, oh, it's just good business. It's just American capitalism. It's just killing the individual producer. It's what it is. Right. How did it get this way? Well, it didn't get this way overnight, but we've turned a blind eye to it over the past uh, 30 to 40 years. You know, back in 1921, we were facing incredible consolidation in our packing industry. And we had the Packers and Stockyards Act come about that, um, you know, regulated the packing industry. We, bo- we broke up those monopolies. And over time, our administration has just kind of pushed the PNS Act, the Packers and Stockyards Act to the side. And that just shows you how corrupt our administration is, that they aren't willing to enforce uh, a law that would take care of many of the issues in our industry. But, you know... <laughs> The only people you can really point fingers at in this situation is folks like me, folks that we've we've gotten ourselves here because we've turned a blind eye to it. There's so many of us in the industry where, you know what we do when things get tough, we just put our head down and we work harder. And I say we point our fingers at ourselves, but at the same time, I have to say that um, part of the problem is we don't have a 
cattlemen's our, our loudest voice for a cattle organization here in America is not representing cattle producers. It is representing the packers instead. And, you know, also producers are paying into the beef checkoff, that $1 per head, every animal that you run through a sale barn, every animal that you sell, that in itself should be helping producers. And it is, you know, when that first got enacted, it was great. There's no doubt about it. And we need to check off. Don't get me wrong about that. But things have changed in between 1986 and where we are today in 2021. Things have changed when it comes to the checkoff. And that those checkoff dollars are not helping our cattle producers at the end of the day. They are going towards organizations that are not well representing cattle producers. It's being spent on research that isn't getting our industry any farther away. It's not it's not giving any more money back to the producer who is paying into this into this program. So long story short, I, I it's just there's been a lot that has gotten us here. We don't have proper representation when it comes mm-hmm. to Washington, DC. You know, someone said to me here recently, well, the poorest thing that cattle producers do is market their their product. And I couldn't disagree more. I think we do our darndest to market our product. We are always trying to get into these new programs, whether we're talking about GAP programs or being NHTC certified, third party certified. You know, we're jumping through all these hopes, but we're not seeing any premiums come back to the producer. They're asking us to do all these things. We have the best quality beef that we've ever had in America, the best genetics, you know, we cattle producers, that's what makes us so great. We're independent. We're going to, we're going to play the game and we're going to outdo everyone. We're going to work harder than our neighborhood and than our neighbor, excuse me. We're going to produce the best beef, but at the end of the day, that doesn't matter because we're not seeing any of the, any of the premiums that we should be receiving for our cattle trickle down to us. You know, but the Packers are seeing those premiums. They have seen record profits over the past year and a half. You know, they've had profits way up over $1,500 per head. Right now, they're seeing $1,000 per head. And, you know, when you're killing um, cobs of cattle every week, it's it's unreal the profits they're seeing. Uh, and at the same time, cattle producers, you know, they're barely breaking even. breaking even. We're seeing independent cattle feeders drop out left and right. And sooner or later, I think it already is affecting the cow-calf producers, you know, when you can't, when you can't make money after so many years, it just, it gets pretty darn discouraging. Exactly. And we definitely saw that when COVID began. I remember, I remember March of 2020, I walked in the sale barn where my granddad was a commissioned cattle buyer. He was about ready to quit. He was at the end of his, he just didn't want to do it as much anymore. And I walk in there and he's looking at the board, um, and he's looking at the prices of cattle and things like that. And he looked, I look at him and I said, what's the market doing? He said, well, we're in no market. Because mm-hmm. at the time, COVID had shut out on the pack, shut down all the packing plants. Nobody was at work. Cattle couldn't get processed. They remained in the feedlot, continued to gaining weight on the dime of the producer, or if the feed yard owned the cattle. Either way, it was costing them money every day not to have cattle processed. And then more cattle can't come into the yard. Mm-hmm. Yards were, I mean full i mean i mean it just tanked the market and it's also interesting when you talk about the checkoff when was the checkoff initiated 1986 so i kind of have an interesting story about that a guy one time told me name's arky keeney down there in portales new mexico he was on the board that initially had established the beef checkoff along with linda davis and some other people new mexico prominent new mexico people well, they wanted to establish a checkoff and Arky got up on stage one time and everybody was just appalled at the idea of paying a dollar per head to promote their beef. And Arky got up on stage and he said, well, I'm going to tell you all something. Every one of you in here has got a hundred X hat on and, and, uh, 
ostrich boots and you're all broke and you don't even know it because you're not all willing to pay one dollar to promote your product and if you're not willing to promote your product you might as well promote your place up for sale you're all broke already and you don't even know it next mm -hmm. thing you know they signed the check off and they were a part of the program mm -hmm. but now in new mexico we've gone to i think two dollars now for a state fee yep yeah like folks up in north dakota they have the same thing and i'm sure other states do too that i'm not fully aware of but yeah there's a state check off mm -hmm. and then a national check off so they're actually getting two dollars per head right take it off of their um their checks yeah and people scoff at the idea two dollars state fee and then a dollar to go to the national check off i'm not doing that but a lot of you hear a lot of guys go well, i don't see i don't i don't ever see promotional stuff for my beef and but you go to Chicago and you go to Los Angeles and you go to New York City, you see a lot of that there. But what is a conflicting opinion is when you have documentaries on Netflix like Cowspiracy that make us all look bad and make us look like a bunch of evil masterminds. There's just a lot of conflicting opinions and it makes you kind of wonder, well, what do people really want? I want a big old ribeye steak on my plate that's high quality, a lot of marbling. Will will fill me up with a baked potato and corn and sweet tea. It's all I want, and if I can have that on my plate, I will be satisfied. So you talked about the checkoff a little bit more that I'd like to elaborate on. When the checkoff was enacted, it was written in the in the laws within the checkoff. I guess is how you'd say it that you cannot make any any um, statements that disparage other proteins right. and you know at that time it was just chicken and pork essentially and yet they'll disparage us exactly at well, every turn and i'm not even pointing the finger at chicken and pork i'm pointing the finger at back in 1986 we didn't know that we would be facing plant-based and lab-grown mm -hmm. beef come 2021 and you know plant-based and lab-grown uh protein products i guess you'd say they will tear us down day and night but our own checkoff dollars cannot put out statements or um, ads about how those products are so poor for you. You know, they're just, there are a lot of chemicals put together. It's, you know, we've always been about wholesome foods, you know, health, all this stuff in America. And now we're looking at plant-based products. Uh, you know, how many, how many ingredients are in a plant-based burger? It'll, it'll blow your mind. And then don't even get me started on lab grown meat. Um, I don't know who would ever want to eat a piece of beef that was grown in, um, in a Petri dish. So it's disappointing to me that our checkoff cannot make statements about other proteins that have come on the scene recently, such as uh, these fake these fake products. Yes. Well, when Burger King first came out with their with their <laughs> fake beef product, Luke Branquino, who's a world champion bulldog, I think he's a world champion bulldogger and he's a commentator and all that. Well, they came up to his brother. I think it was Luke Branquino, Branquino's brother. And they said, we'll give you $2,500 to do a Burger King commercial and eat a fake burger on it. <laughs> and I had, there was, there was kind of, it got out kind of in the media about what his brother thought about, because he's in the commercial like, man, this is great. It's like, just like beef. Oh man. The community, just community just shunned him. Oh, I can't. Imagine. And he said, that's that is the most lousiest $2,500 I was ever spent. <laughs> I should have never done that. I bet. I feel like people would burn you to the ground for doing that. Exactly. So, when we think about this in the future, what do you think are some potential solutions? Because for a young person, you know, I think about this too, maybe I'd like to have my own operation one day and it takes capital and it takes a good banker. It takes hopefully a representative in Congress that's fighting for you and trying to help you and not out for their own self-interest. You know, what, what, what for a young person trying to get into the industry, is it impossible? 
no, I, I don't think it's impossible. I honestly don't think anything is impossible in this world if you've got the hard work and the determina determination to go after it. That being said, getting into the cattle industry is a steep hill to climb. I think it's just, if you want to get in, you got to... You got to start with someone that is already in the industry. I know older folks that are in the industry that don't have kids coming back to their operation and they don't know what what's next for their operation. You know, when they do want to retire and step away, you know, getting in touch with someone like that, um, being able to uh, run cows, maybe, you know, together with folks. Um, you just, you got to know the right people. You got to think outside the box also. And, you know, more often than not, you're probably going to have to have a job in town to supplement your yeah. your career being a rancher. I know a lot of folks like that. Um, you know, that's that's part of the reason why I have always had a side gig besides the fact that I'm such a people person and I like to be out and about. You know, the cattle industry, as we all know, is the farthest thing from a lucrative industry. So it just it takes a lot of darn hard work. You got to realize that there's a good chance you're going to work an eight to five job and then you're going to come home and you're going to work on your operation. When you get done those weekends, they're probably going to be, you know, working on projects, you know, maybe working cows, maybe fixing fence. Like I said, it's, it's not, it's not an industry for the faint of heart, mm -hmm. but <clears throat> there's no better lifestyle. And I think that is what, what has always kept me in the cattle industry the lifestyle is second to none. And everyone, everyone talks about the cattle industry or agriculture as a whole, as a whole, there's just something romantic about it. Um, even where I live, it's just some of the most beautiful country around it's cattle country. And as I talked about earlier, the people in it, they're second to none. So yes, there is no doubt that the cattle industry, it's tough to get into. You have to find a way somehow. You have to think outside the box, but it's worth the hard work. And it is worth the heartbreak because there is no doubt that there is heartbreak. There is incredible tough times, but um, anything worth having in this world is going to take a lot of work. Yeah. And there's a history of ups and downs in the cattle industry. We're not encountering anything new per se. Well, I might debate you on that. Well, actually, if if you follow my updates on Facebook, I actually talked about that here in the last week. Someone did make the statement that what we're seeing right now in the cattle industry is is nothing that we haven't we haven't ever seen before. But and they and they and they, and they said that they said oh. this is nothing we haven't ever seen before. And I responded saying that no, I I'd have to say that we are in us unprecedented times. We are seeing the we are seeing rural America basically decay in front of us. We are seeing the most amount of dollars leave rural America that we've ever seen. We've never seen such high packer consolidation. We've never seen cattle markets be so unfair. We've never seen such a depressed amount of negotiated fed cattle, which is just totally the negotiated fed cattle market, which is just totally killed competition when it comes to comes to fat cattle. You know, we've never seen um, so many independent producers drop out of the game. We've never been so close to vertical integration ever in this industry. All right. You changed my mind. <laughs> and, and yeah, I agree. We've went through tough times and I wasn't there back in the eighties. You know, I wasn't there back in the past 20 years when my folks were struggling, when other producers were struggling, there's no doubt about that. But the thing that is different right now is that cattle producers have lost so much leverage when it comes to pricing their product. You know, cattle producers are receiving the lowest percentage of retail dollar ever in all of history. 
And when you are facing a packing industry that has so much consolidation, so much power, and yeah, you hear the government saying they're going to enforce the Packers and Stockyards Act. Biden has said it in the last couple of weeks. The USDA has come out and said that. You you know, they say there it's going to happen, but why hasn't it happened yet? You know, we've had multiple investigations in the past two years, still haven't seen anything. It just worries you when we have seen other industries, other protein industries. We can talk about the hogs and the chicken, chicken industries. They both went down the path of vertical integration. And in my mind, that is exactly what the packing industry would like to see because they'll have complete control. You know, that's essentially what it comes down to. So explain to us the meaning of the word vertical integration. So when I first hear that, I, I hear complete control of the means of production. Mm-hmm. But what else is what is vertical integration entail? So vertical integration, uh, so for the cattle industry, there will still be cattle producers out there, but they will not own the cattle. They won't have their independence anymore, such as um, in the chicken industry, you know, the packers, they bring in however many chicks every week. You feed them the way you're told to, everything. You're basically a hired man for the packers, and it would be the same with the cattle industry. And... um, in the chicken industry, you know, there's the tournament system when it comes to pricing and that is determined. It's basically a group of producers in a, in a tournament style setting, I guess you'd say. And that's how they figure out how someone is paid. You know, you're working against your neighbor and nothing is transparent when it comes to how folks are paid. You just, you lose all independence. So in the cattle industry, if we go down the path of vertical integration, we won't have the choice to say how implement a certain vaccination protocol we won't have the choice to decide what kind of genetics we want to use we won't have the choice to decide hey i want to background my calves or i want to sell them right off the cow your independence goes out the window and when your independence goes out the window i think that's when the industry falls apart because that's what makes our industry so great is we still have our independence and um as soon as we lose that, we'll also lose rural America. And we're already starting to see rural America crumble in front of us. Main streets are dying. Uh, the folks aren't out there anymore. Big ag is getting bigger. So if we get another industry vertically integrated, rural America will go and America as a whole will follow. Well, and there's been a variety of people who have disagreed or even attacked you about your dissenting opinion. Why is that? They've attacked me. Basically, they they just don't agree. Um, a lot of people would probably label me as radical. You're I, on the right show, though. <laughs> you know, I think folks have basically just attacked me because, for starters, they have a strong differing opinion. And I think a lot of the folks that have attacked me don't necessarily see the other side of the industry. Um They don't necessarily see the side of the smaller cattle producer that has been struggling immensely for the past couple of years. And then honestly, for for I mean, granted, things were great back in when that drought hit back in 2012 to 2015. Cattle prices were darn good. But, you know, independent producers have have been struggling for quite some time. And a lot of the folks that have attacked me, I think it's fair to say that they don't necessarily have any skin in the game until you have skin in the game. I I don't think you have a clear picture of what is really going on within the industry. And yeah, I have been an easy target, I feel like, to come after. But I've kind of, I've set myself up for that. 
I'm one of those that I'm, I'm never scared to voice my opinion. And when it comes to the cattle industry, uh, it's fair to say that I have a dog in the fight and everyone in the industry. It's not just about my family. It's about all the folks out there that are so great within the industry. Um, you know, I want nothing more than to see this industry survive, not only just survive, but, but thrive. It deserves it. We we not only feed our country, we feed the world. We are the folks that are out there, you know, early in the morning, late into the night, any kind of weather. It's 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 near and dear to my heart. So I want nothing more than to see this industry survive. And what I think about is, you know, it's interesting maybe some some of the mindsets of the competition that we have of the people who have so much control, you often think about well, what do they think? What what's going through their mind? You know, when you think of a farming and ranching aspect, there's nothing more important in America than the family. Mm-hmm. And in my personal opinion, we have traded our values within our families to achieve status, to achieve some greater thing in life and to achieve more of something that's green, that is paper that's printed every day. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if let's say the beef industry becomes completely vertically integrated. So what does that mean? And, you know, I'm an aspiring auctioneer and particularly livestock. What does that mean for the sale barn atmosphere for a place you can walk into them? Guys are telling jokes and laughing and they drink coffee. And are those are those days? uh, Is the sun setting on on that kind of life? That's an incredibly dis. Um, depressing statement. But yes, I think obviously if we become vertically integrated, there won't be a need for those sale barns. And, you know, when I say vertically integrated, maybe the whole industry won't become vertically integrated. Maybe there will be some folks that will be able to hold out in some way. You know, over the past year, we've seen a lot of folks start selling beef directly to consumers, and that has opened a lot of new doors and another way to, you know, make some extra income, think outside the box, kind of like I was talking about earlier. But yeah, I mean, we won't need those those uh, big sales up in Fort Pier, Bassett. We won't need those big superior sales, uh, you know, when, when the packer owns it from top to bottom. All of that will go with it. It's It's incredible. It's not just, obviously, it's about the cattle producer fading away, the independent cattle producer fading away. But like I said, there's just so much that goes with it. You can talk about the auction barns, you know, auctioneering, that's your passion. That'll go with it when it comes to livestock. And as I talked about rural America, um, you know, our small schools, these, I, I think small schools are fantastic. But as we continue to, to see our community shrink, we have to consolidate and, you know, things just continue to get smaller and smaller and you can only get small, so small before you close those doors. And, you know, rural America, as I said, it is the backbone of this country. And sadly, our country has just been focused so much on economies of scale. We've gotten away from, as you spoke about a minute ago, like those family values, Um, you know, here in America, we have become a society of um, materialism. We've become a very fast-paced society, which there's nothing wrong with that. You and I both live incredibly fast-paced yes. lives. But that does not mean that we don't stop to slow down and enjoy the little things, whether it be spending time with friends and family. Just maybe just um, not focusing our whole life around you know, chasing that next dollar. The status you talked about, like keeping up with the Joneses, having the fanciest car or the fanciest 
house on the block and you're neck deep in, in debt. Yeah. You know, we've, we've gotten away from our core values that, you know, our grandparents had, they lived such a simpler life. And it was, in my opinion, um, it was probably a better life. You know, things were a little bit slower. You, you had better relationships, even think about now how technology is, it's great. Look at us sitting here recording this podcast. Look at us checking emails on our phones. But at the same time, that has made us so disconnected. Mm -hmm. So many people you can't even hold a conversation with because they won't even look up from their phones. You know, I'm, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but society as a whole in America has just gotten so off track. And I don't know how we get back on track. Um, I think something probably big will have to happen within this country. Some major changes will have to happen and uh, have to get back to our core values that our country was built on. Right. Well, all I know is I'll, I will leave this world with the same amount of money I came in into it with, and that's zero. Yes. There's nothing wrong with that. Exactly. And I I know we have we have to have money in this in this world to survive. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. But when you're just chasing a dollar, I think that's how we've we've gotten away from happiness. I mean. The common, the common good things in this world, sitting down and having a meal with a friend that you haven't seen in a few months, picking up the phone and calling a friend that's 12 hours away. You know, we live such busy lives. We've, we've got to slow down and enjoy the little things. Uh, you always make the statement that you're just passing through this world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm just passing through. That's yeah. all I'm doing. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, like, I, I don't mean to preach about it, but life here is just so darn short. And, um, I don't know. I think we just need to slow it down a little bit more and appreciate more of all the blessings that God has put around us. Exactly. On a more positive topic, you have worked directly within um, with Wild Rides TV and things like that. That contract work has ended, as you say, and you have worked directly with them. What What is that experience like? I mean, you've interviewed some of the top athletes in the Pro Rodeo Cowboy Association. And what is... Uh, you were contract work, wild rides on behalf of the Cowboy Channel. Mm -hmm. And I've seen your pickup. You got a big old Cowboy Channel logo on the side of your pickup, RFD logo. And that's awesome. I see that. And I'm like, dang, I just want to drive that thing. And uh, and feel very jealous at the same time because I'm like, dang, I would like to have all those stickers on my pickup. <laughs> but it definitely shows us. Here's my deal. When you see that at an event like Cattle U or, you know, we were in Dodge City about a month and a half ago. When you see that at an event, it can't help but make you feel good because that means that as an industry, we are getting exposure to the mainstream. And, you know, we've been afraid for so long that there are people, you know, that American American producers involved with agriculture, they want to stick to their what they know best. And, and you know, a predominantly big number of them are not outspoken about, you know, about essentially what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, because they're, they're too busy, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they got a lot going on, but now you see such an explosion in communications involved with agriculture, everybody and their mother wants to be involved with it because it's simply, uh, it's, it's, uh, it provides a bridge between producers and consumers. And it gives people a basic idea of what our industry is all about. Other than some, th sometimes when they may see a video that was taken out of context or something like that, but you have you have a tremendous interest in communications involving agriculture and you do a Facebook update three or four times a week called Cattle News Central that you independently do. Mm -hmm. 
if you want to give a plug for your sponsors, you can right now. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. So uh, right now, um, Agrisk Advisors, they, they are my main sponsor for my update. And yeah, I just do a basic cattle industry update, um, Cattle News Central. I, it's just produced through my personal Facebook page, Mackenzie Johnston. I've never ventured out and created a website or anything of the sort. I started doing those updates with Tri-State Livestock News when I was working on their Fair Cattle Markets mm-hmm. Initiative. And I have such a passion for talking about news. And I just love the communication side of the industry. So, yeah, I um, an update every day. Keep folks informed on all the hot news in the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and my dad even listens to your update, and he gets upset when you don't do an update on Sunday. <laughs> He's like, "Where's she at? I want to know. I want to see her dang update." You got to be working sometime. Yeah, you do. But uh, but at the update, has it strengthened you as a communicator doing that every day? Yes, most definitely. It's funny. I uh, so I when I was working for Tri-State Livestock News, I always shared, first off, it was posted on the Tri-State Livestock News Facebook page, and then I always shared it on my Facebook page. So memories every day come up, and I can see my episodes from a year ago, and they are cringeworthy to see. Isn't that nice? <laughs> oh, yeah, goodness. you look at where you came from. <laughs> right, it is great to see that progression, but at the same time, I'm like, oh my goodness, how many people watched this a year ago? <laughs> Dear gosh. But yeah, it's, oh, it's definitely strengthened um, my communication skills. You know, sitting down down every day at the end of the day, talking to your phone, recording yourself. Um, There's this, you know, it's, it's pretty simple. It's only five minutes, but there's so much that goes into it. You know, um, looking presentable at the end of a day when you've been working out on a ranch for, for one, that's a challenge in itself. And then just, you know, being, having that voice, that, that voice that catches everyone's attention, making sure you do hit the top news that came out that day. You know, it, it takes time, it takes research, but again, that's that's my true passion, educating folks on what's going on in the industry. Exactly. So what's your future look like at this point on? Well, I don't have my crystal ball with me today, so, but that is a darn good question. Um, you know, I, I am a freelance journalist and reporter. Uh, my next project, not exactly sure what that will be. Uh, I would like to see it something... Uh, either within the rodeo industry or the cattle industry, not exactly sure what that looks like. Um, you know, right now I'm just back on my family's ranch working with my dad until, until I do, um, come across my next project. Um, but yeah, open to a lot of things, you know, um, I don't have a lot holding me down right now in life. My career is essentially everything. And, uh, more than anything, I just, I want to chase my dream of broadcasting, reporting, uh, doing my best for the industry that I'm working in. Exactly. And your operation is primarily Red Angus, isn't it? Yes. So my folks, uh, Jim and Patty Johnston, they have a Red Angus commercial cow-calf operation up there by uh, up there by Brewster. So in God's country up in the Sandhills. Yes, it definitely is up there in Nebraska. Definitely God's country. Get a lot more rain than we do and things like that. Definitely. We have green grass. Yes, you do. You were kind of shocked when you came down here, weren't you? Oh, my goodness. I mean, golly, what do, what do the cows eat down here? Greenest thing around here is pecan <laughs> orchards. Gosh, I just, you know, it's wild the amount of acres it takes per head down here versus what we do up there in Nebraska. And also my first question, as you know, when I asked you when I got down here, where does your guys' water come from? You where- know, besides the irrigation and I mean, mass amounts of folks down in this, in this area, lots of, lots of people. Um, it's definitely a different way of operating. It, it's good to get out though and see these different parts of the country. And then also it makes me appreciate where I come from. Exactly. Well, uh, I guess we've covered a lot today we'll go ahead and wrap things up. And first of all, I want to thank you, Mackenzie, for the work you do 
in agriculture industry, particularly in the cattle industry, and with your updates, uh, the contract work you have done, and the work that you do to ensure that the American agriculturist cattle and the cattle producer is po portrayed in a positive light, and it's and, and that you portray that there are still people out there who are doing things the old way, which in my opinion is the right way, mm -hmm. but that you, and that you are not afraid to have an unvarnished opinion about certain topics, which is something that is uh, definitely dangerous mm -hmm. at this point in time. Yeah. And, but we sincerely appreciate you and thank you for being on Southwest AgriTalk. And we need to go try some green chili, don't we? We most, down here. most definitely we do. And thank you for all those kind words. And thank you for doing what you're doing with this podcast. Um, any kind of podcast like this talking about issues within our industry is fantastic. So thank you. For well, that. I'm glad to do it. All right, everybody. You heard it here first from Mackenzie Johnston, all the way from Brewster, Nebraska. I'm your host, Lyle Logeman of Southwest AgriTalk. And this is the end of our second episode ever. Catch us on episode number three, where we have another interesting perspective and as equally interesting person on as our guest. Y'all have a wonderful day. Thank you.